we're dealing with more snow. It's like the oh, snow. Good. It's like the snowiest month. It's and it's officially spring now, and March has been like the snowiest month all season, all winter season long. Yeah, it's I saw. Um, I don't know what Pittsburgh is like, but I saw Erie is supposed to be nine this weekend, nine degrees. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, it's been cold, but at least it's been in like the. I think just the 30s, like the low 30s at the very worst. But um, yeah, yeah we, I, we just got a little dusting today, but still. Yeah, I had an outside remote yesterday. I was wearing a t-shirt and shorts. It yeah. was 86. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> and I think it's going to be like on Tuesday, 68 or something like that. And and then maybe cold again. I don't know. It's 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 lousy smarch weather. That's lousy <laughs> smarch weather for you. And there's our Simpsons reference. Uh, maybe the first one early. of yeah, maybe the first one of the new era. I, don't know I if think we, so. Yeah, I think so. Should we get going? <laughs> yeah, might as well. <laughs> right. Welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing: watching Curb Your Enthusiasm for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. You and- know, every time I say that now that we're not doing Seinfeld, I feel like it's the Atlanta Falcons bit from The Simpsons. Oh yeah, it's like the, the show about watching Curb Your Enthusiasm for the first time. Yeah, it's been no one's noticed, but it's been the same intro. We've just copied and pasted it every Pretty much, sing, yeah, yeah, every single Which episode. Is- which is kind of what we're good at. Like, yeah, literally. Today we will be talking about Porno Gill, Season 1, Episode 3. And you know what? I almost wrote down, maybe I am too ingrained in the ways of Seinfeld, but I almost wrote down the Porno Gill, the Porno Gill, instead of just Porno <laughs> Gill. I was like, I thought there was a the. And I was like, no, I guess I'm just thinking of every Seinfeld title. It's Porno <laughs> Gill, yeah, Season 1, Episode 3. But before that, what's the deal with stuff? From our last episode, Ted and Mary. First of all, we noticed the sour grapes poster in Larry's office, as seen in Larry David Curb Your Enthusiasm, is gone and it's been replaced by a poster with a clown on it that says, Jokes that injure others, waste time, hurt records, are never jokes. Let's think twice. I hypothesized, I was like, that looks like a, w- a World War II propaganda poster. Like maybe they put in a factory or whatever, you know, to keep people working. Uh, I was pretty far off by the year, but not by. It's use. Hmm. It's actually a Charles Mather work incentive poster from 1929. Ooh. Yeah, I was able to find a lot of five of these posters featured on a 2008 episode of Antiques Roadshow that was filmed in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And at that time, in 08, those five posters were appraised to get at auction anywhere between thirteen and dollars $19,500. Thirteen thousand oh to, to about twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, for five posters. Five posters. Yeah. So <laughs> okay. I had to know more. I was like, all right, and they were in pristine condition. Don't get me wrong, but still, like twenty thousand for five posters. So from there, I unlocked a treasure trove of information on these things. The International Poster Gallery in Boston is possibly—I couldn't tell if it's still running—but they do have a Mather exhibition, and so I found a lot of information about these posters in 1923. This Chicago-based printer, Charles Mather, began selling subscriptions to corporations for an annual poster series to motivate motivate and inspire workers. We're in like the post-World War I manufacturing boom, and to combat like a lot of union talk that was going on, they were trying to keep workers, I guess, working with these posters, <laughs> you know? So they, they were designed to improve worker productivity and curb turnover during a time of economic expansion and plentiful jobs. Another one called The Perfect Finish depicts a sailing crew hard at work during a boat race, and the subtitle says, No jobs done till it's all done. Oh, Uh, my God. (laughs) Another one called Over the Plate 
depicts a pitcher in mid-throw and says, winners never have to say they're good. Their work proves it. Result. Talk. <laughs> yeah, and that was just supposed to keep you on the, the assembly line there. Uh, one of my favorites is it's got a picture of the U.S. Capitol, and it says, you are proud of America. Is America proud of you? Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I I really I really find the the boating one confusing because you don't win a race whenever your boat completely crosses the finish line. No, you win a race whenever you reach the finish line. Yeah, w- yeah, with, that's with true. the nose of your boat. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> the the work's not over until everyone's done. I'm like, no, the the work's over whenever the first person reaches the finish line. <laughs> yeah. Like the smallest part of your boat is done with the race and the race is done. <laughs> so no job's done until the smallest part of the job is done. Okay. And also like, I guess the metaphor extends. I'm just trying to think of like, how is your job done in the middle of a race? Like, cause it's not crossing the finish line. It's like, I guess that's what it is. Everybody's working towards one thing and that's finishing the race. I don't know. It is, it is a little muddled, but <laughs> you know, they only had a few lines to work with and a, and a pretty picture, a pretty <laughs> lithograph. Uh, so Mather created approximately 350 different images in seven annual campaigns before the series ended abruptly with the stock market crash in October of 1929. Uh. By January of 1930, America was back to you're lucky to have a job style of work motivation. So uh it's yeah they're the, the all the posters said it's this or the bread line uh, oh my yeah. lord <laughs> after that no they couldn't even afford to make the posters they would just say that they would just it would just it was just blasted by bullhorn throughout the factory so i found so i when i saw that amazing antiques roadshow breakdown i was like all right let me see if there's any more of these for sale right now so i found an original funny poster the one with the clown in larry david's office at a website called sirjax.com which seems like it it seems like maybe Urban Outfitters, but like actually vintage stuff, not just stuff that that looks vintage. Okay. Sirjax.com. The funny poster goes for $3,999. Ooh. Yeah. An original Mather 1929 poster. So, and I found a speedboat poster. This one has a speedboat on it and it says, out in front, trailers lose what leaders win. To get ahead, be ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what is that even saying it's it's not saying anything motivational it's just saying yeah don't suck yeah it's saying work work <laughs> faster i guess uh that one's hey, five thousand hey. dollars by the way hey good morning don't suck today <laughs> yeah don't suck that, today that's, that's your motivation uh that one's five thousand um i found another one for two thousand Oh, this has a train on it. It said order speeds results. It was designed to, you know, keep your workstation clean so that you can you can work better. I found another on eBay for like fifteen hundred. If you're interested though, there are lots of reprints out there for like fifteen to twenty bucks. Probably purchased, though I was gonna guess, at say the uh, international poster gallery up there in Boston and then resold on eBay. So if you're inter- I didn't find the funny poster reprint, which you figure that might be one of the most popular just because it's featured in a television show that a lot of people have watched but yeah so if you want an original you're going to pay anywhere between fifteen hundred and five thousand dollars for it but i had no idea it had all this history behind it and uh, let me see what else do we have oh we wanted to know if barney's workers from beverly hills could teleport anywhere they wanted to be at any point in time whenever anyone was either either needed to buy something from barney's or perhaps might be working against barney's making any money because the the shoe salesman pops up right as Larry is leaving this random boot and shoe repair restaurant. So how far is Barney's from boot and shoe repair? Barney's Beverly Hills location was at 9, uh, 9570 Wilshire Boulevard in Beverly Hills. Boot and shoes repair was at 
11427 Santa Monica Boulevard in Los Angeles proper. If you walked from Barney's over Wilshire, where it actually intersects with Santa Monica Boulevard, near the famous Beverly Hills Hilton, you can walk directly down Santa Monica Boulevard, 3.4 miles, which would oh take about an hour, Lord. and you would pass boot and shoes repair. <laughs> Good Lord. So it's about an hour walk or a 20-minute drive, and that was in red traffic when I was searching, by the way. So I would say myth plausible. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. I think it's totally plausible that just Larry <laughs> David is in the wrong place at the wrong time, which he's going to be frequently in this show. Sometimes it's, you know... They're amazing coincidences, but this one I could say this guy might go, look, do I want to drive? Maybe Barney's is like, hey, workers, we're a snooty ass department store. Our workers cannot park their shitty cars in our parking lot. So find another way to get here. <laughs> um, and, you know, owning a car in L.A. is I know it's sometimes a necessity, but it can be expensive. So maybe this guy walked three and a half miles every day up Santa Monica Boulevard Fuck. and over Wilshire to work every day and <laughs> just happened to be walking home at that time. I'm going to say it's totally possible. That's a it's, long it's- way to walk. Yeah, it's not impossible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I found I was kind of amazed when I found that out. <laughs> uh, here's some other trivia and tidbits from the episode. The bowling alley manager played Jerry's neighbor Phil on the episode of Seinfeld, The Cufflinks. Remember Phil with the parrot who eats the cufflinks? Oh, yeah. That was the bowling alley. I totally didn't <laughs> recognize him. <laughs> and the shoe repair guy is also Joey's tailor in the Friends episode, the one with Ross's new girlfriend. I think the one that like cups Joey's balls or something like that when have you seen that you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no, oh, okay. I have no idea. There's a scene where there's something where Joey talks about how he went to this tailor all his life and and whenever he's doing the inseam he always like cups Joey's balls and and Ross and Joey I mean um Joey and Chandler ha- or damn it Ross and Chandler have to explain that that's not normal to Joey and that I guess he's been molested his whole life. I don't I don't know uh, exactly. Yeah. Classic I comedy. <laughs> I don't remember Jesus what happened after Christ. that. But that's the gist. Yeah. So, and then I had to remark that someone went to IMDb and opened the goof section for this episode and furiously typed this. Mary, this is at the very beginning of the episode. Mary gets a strike and says it is a good way to end. Larry is told all he needs is a spare to win, but when the scorecard is shown, Larry has already thrown two balls in the 10th frame, a strike and a seven, and has a score of 120 through nine frames. If he converts the spare, he could only tie Mary at 140, not win. And when he throws the ball, it is towards a full rack, not just the three pins for the spare. And Larry gets a strike. I hope someone got fired for that blunder. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Wow. Like literally the frames they are t- the frames of <laughs> of film, not the bowling frames. The frames of film they are talking about are a total of like 0.25 seconds. I can't believe they were able to discern anything that was on that scorecard. I'm sure they went frame by frame and they're like, "Wait a second. That's incredible." I know. Oh I know. my god. <laughs> it's like super nerdy and annoying, but it's also great that it exists. <laughs> Larry David pissing off the bowling community yeah. one bo- one bowler at a time. I've bowled, I don't know, let's say you know, I'll highball and say a thousand games of bowling in my life. And I still don't know really how the scoring works, especially when you get to the last frame and you sometimes you get to throw three balls. And sometimes it, like I, I still don't really get it because when you throw a strike, sometimes it counts for more than a strike. Like 10 rounds of 10 should be 100, <laughs> but a perfect game is 300. Yeah. yeah. So what happens is 
If you throw a strike in one frame, it's 10. If yeah. you throw a strike in the next frame, the strike in your previous frame gets up to 20. Uh, if you throw three strikes in a row, the strike in that first frame now gets tripled to 30. And then if you keep going and keep going, then uh, it, it will eventually be 300. Uh, you know, I see. Yeah, you see yeah, where that's I'm going? How it works. Yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah, that's always confused me. So it's it's like your it's like your your hot streak bonus. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, combo, combo, <laughs> combo. Um, got it. Okay, that's all for that. So uh, the congregation, please rise as we consult curb your enthusiasm, the book uh, for the uh, chapter about Ted and Mary. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Uh, what they were thinking. This is all what they were thinking. No trivia from this episode. So this is uh, quotes from the cast members about the episode. Tim Bagley, who played the shoe salesman, says, I remember in the breakdown, it said they wanted a flamboyant, over-the-top gay-type character. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> Larry, what a, what are you doing? Oh, boy. <laughs> and I told my agent I didn't want to play that. But she said, why don't you go in and do what you want to do with the role? Larry told me later that most actors played flamboyantly gay at the audition but i came in real not playing the obvious stereotype it was a lesson to me that the breakdown might not always be definitive so that's a good job searching quote you know <laughs> anyway mary steenburgen said after the amount of positive play we gave barney's i've always been amazed that they don't sort of genuflect to me and larry when we come into the store <laughs> well they, they couldn't give away too much they went bankrupt uh you know 20 years later so go easy on them <laughs> Ted Danson said, one time we flew down to some place in Cabo at the last minute for New Year's Eve. There was this Mexican band singing old standards, Blue Moon and things like that. And Larry jumped up and started translating. He gives a line by line running translation of the song. It was so bizarre and quirky. That's just weird. <laughs> that has nothing to do with this episode. I guess the fact that Ted Danson and Larry David are actual friends. And back to Mary, she says, I remember Larry showed us the curb pilot in Martha's Vineyard where we both have houses, rich people. Uh, because he wanted some friend's point of view. There were around six of us. I was just laughing my head off. Other people didn't know what to make of it. I think one person even <laughs> fell asleep. <laughs> That's Ted. That was Ted. Yeah, that was me. That was me. I think it took a little while for people to get used to the idea, but Ted and I have a similar sense of humor, and we just thought it was hilarious. So, yeah, I'm guessing she's talking about the comedy special in that case, not season one, episode one, because that would pretty much be impossible for them to be in season one, episode two. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's interesting that she called that comedy special a pilot, if that's the case, because that's really the first actual person who's referred to it that way besides us, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, there we go. That's it. That's it from the book. And we will now close the book. Amen. All right. <laughs> Is that going to be our new segment? I, I don't mind that, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>, so <laughs> up, up through season five, anyway. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, all right. Do you got anything else before we get into it? No, I think that's it. All right. If you have never listened to us before, we are not a research-heavy show, despite the last... 20 minutes uh, being exclusively uh, homework and bullshit. Uh, we like to have our questions pop up naturally in the run of the episode and assign them to ourselves the week following as though we are giving ourselves homework. I've never seen these episodes before. Tim has never seen these episodes before in the last 20 years. Uh, if we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us an email or send us a tweet. It's at nohugging on Twitter or nohuggingnolearningshow at gmail.com. Both of those links are down in the description or in the show description page on Apple Podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you send us proof of the review, because uh, sometimes we don't always see them as they're posted, we will send you a no-hugging, no-learning sticker free of charge. Uh, just need your mailing address with that so we can, you know, 
know where to send it. And if you would like to support us monetarily, you can also do that as well. Uh, Patreon.com slash nohugging is where you can get early access to every episode, one week early access to all the main feed episodes. Plus, you're going to get two movie reviews every single month and our content that we clip out of our weekly releases. It ranges anywhere from a couple of minutes up to like 10 to 15, maybe even like 20 minutes sometimes. Really depends on uh, how much of a tangent we get going on on different things that happened in our in our week that have absolutely no tie to curb your enthusiasm. Uh, do you want to get a Newman's mail sack here or do you want to save that for the end? Ooh. I don't I don't know the content. We we've so... d- we've, we've done it in both places. Yeah. Um why don't we why don't we save it for the end since we are already at 20 minutes? Okay. Okay. So season 1, episode 3, Porno Gill, original air date October 29th, 2000. And if you're looking at TV guy that night, you are going to see Larry sets off a bizarre chain of events parenthetical, as he always does, <laughs> in which he is forced to attend a party at the home of a porno businessman. <laughs> I, I can only think of one thing I'll change, and I'll wait till the end, but I don't hate it. I think it's pretty good. I, I think it's clunky, for sure. Yeah. I, I think I think it's uh, its worst crime is being clunky. Yeah, yeah. All right, we'll see if we can make it better at the end, but this might be the best, at least the best one initially that we've had so far i know we haven't done a ton but they might be getting better that's what i'm trying to say (laughs) they might be getting better at it uh so we start with you know a different different intro i said last week i was like this is it this is going to be the intro black screen and the text and and then they change it up immediately (laughs) on me make me look like an idiot you fucking dummy (laughs) Uh, so yeah we get now all white text over a golf ball being teed up so yeah it's um uh, I don't I don't know how often they're going to go back to doing this, but yeah, it, it was a bit of a shocker to me. I did like that Larry hitting the golf ball was timed with the music. I loved that right off the bat. Yeah. Cool. Like whatever. Yeah. I forget what, what part it was timed to, but it was, I liked that they did that. So Larry is at the driving range and he has a little face off with a guy who was wearing one of those golf hats, but he has the string up like right under his chin like tightened right up under his chin (laughs) and larry clocks that and then does not help the guy pick up the ball well in larry's defense the ball (laughs) rolls over and gets stuck in the crack exactly halfway between them yes yeah, as he's explaining to Cheryl later, he says it was a little closer to him. I, I disagree with that. I agree with you. It, it was directly in the middle, which doesn't make the situation any better or different. But it, and in fact, it I don't think it detracts from what Larry did. You know, if it's right in the middle there, then there you go. You can pick up your own ball. <laughs> so at home, he is explaining the, the situation to Cheryl. This was a very Seinfeldian tradition, by the way. Uh, transition, I mean. A uh, very Seinfeldian transition. Like, we come in at the end of them telling another character about what just happened. That happened. Yeah. How many times did that happen in Seinfeld? Like, every episode. Every like, episode. And yeah. he and he picked up the thing? He picked it up. I can't believe it. Like, we're, we, we come we in. Get, we, yeah, we get the establishing shot outside, yeah. and we hear a little bit of dialogue, and then we come inside. Yeah. yeah. That's Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Jeff, we find out, is in the hospital after going in to get some tests done. And they were like, no, you can't leave. You you might have to have bypass surgery. And so in the meantime, after learning that, Larry also returns a call from this guy, John. But instead of calling John, he accidentally dials Gil by accident. And he's invited to a party. And Gil is this former porno actor that he met at the golf club. And I guess they played a couple rounds or whatever. And Gil just impromptu invites him to this party, even though Cheryl's like, I thought we were going to go to dinner. <laughs> 
And Larry's <laughs> like, all right, we'll go to dinner and then we'll go to the party for like 15 minutes because I said I'd go. Over at City of Angels Medical Center, which was at 1711 West Temple Street. It might still be an acute care center with 180 beds. But get this. It's not called City of Angels Medical Center anymore because in 2010, the owners were sued by the state of California and I think the federal government for Medicare and state health care fraud. They had this scheme. shit. Yeah, they were sued for $10 million because they had this fraud scheme where they had these quote unquote recruiters who would go to Skid Row, like literally the real Skid Row, they'd pick up homeless people and they would treat them for sometimes unnecessary medical conditions and then they would bill the government for the services. And oh so, my God. By the way, they would trans, uh, transport these homeless people by ambulance. So that's, and then charge the government for that too. <laughs> and they would also pay these recruiters like bounty. And so the recruiters got kickbacks all under the table. And so, yeah, they, they they were sued for and settled for $10 million in that case in 2010. And I'm sure not soon after it was renamed. Now it is still there. It is LA Downtown Medical Center. But I could not <laughs> believe when I read that. I'm like, that is the crazy, that's like like just a crazy, the craziest scheme I've ever read. It was wild. Um, and who knows if they, maybe they didn't even do the medical procedures. They were picking up homeless people on Skid Row. Just crazy. Just in, I mean, th- that just goes to show you like people are in charge of running healthcare systems and how little regard they actually have for the health of their fellow man. It's like all about the money and disgusting. Larry is there visiting Jeff who has a blockage that he's going to have to get, you know, taken care of. And he asked Larry while he's in there, And while his wife is going to be there, Susie's going to be there on Sunday. Can you go to my house and remove my porn collection in case something happens? That way no one will find it. And Larry predicts disaster. He was like, this is not going to go well, but he'll do it anyway because Jeff's a friend. And I thought of I thought how quaint it was how in the year 2000 someone has pornography like tangible <laughs> pornography <laughs> like magazines yeah. and and VHS tapes VHS yeah. tapes and those giant cases that porn tapes used to come in I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if that you know hit any nostalgic notes for you Ted if you've ever seen those before but for some reason porn tapes were in instead of like you know the size of a cassette tape they were in these like eight and a half by eleven size Jesus Christ like VHS I don't know maybe so they could put more pictures on them I have no idea uh, but. But no, yeah, they I, were. <laughs> I, I have never watched porn off of a VHS. On VHS? Tape. I wish I could say the same. I wish I could say <laughs> the same. <laughs> so, and, but I thought writing this for 2020, it would be go to my house, find my laptop, and erase my browsing history. <laughs> go, go on my desktop, open up the folder that says stuff. Yeah. Go, go into the folder in stuff that says other stuff yeah. <laughs> go into the folder in that that says homework and then go into the folder in that and delete everything yeah. delete the but ba- ba- back it up on a hard drive but delete <laughs> everything and the folder that says taxes delete that uh, yeah. <laughs> so in larry's car larry and cheryl post dinner are now lost going to the party here's another great thing from the year 2000 printed directions Oh my lord! Uh, oh yeah, because not, not go- only printed yeah. directions, faxed yeah. <laughs> and printed directions. So they're still handwritten and printed directions. Yeah, and faxed over to Larry yeah. from Gil. Yeah, 
But I can't imagine, you know, I, I just remember the days of MapQuest and like printing out MapQuest directions beforehand. And like, if you deviated, well, you're good fucked, luck, Hansel yeah. and Gretel, because yeah, you're, <laughs> you're lost for good. Um, and, and how many times that happened to me. And I think I'm like, how did, because I've been door dashing and I'm like, and I know you've driven Uber, Uber, like, how did people do, how did people deliver pizza? How did people drive taxis before the days of GPS? Dude, you have to be like either from the city that you're driving in yeah. or you just have to know it like the back of your hand. Yeah. Or, or, or have like an actual paper map yeah, next to you and go, God. all right, where am I? I'm at the corner of 10th and H. So now I have to be, yeah. I mean, I'm like that could not do it. Could not like, do I, it. I delivered pizza in areas I wasn't super familiar with, but it was still like my home area yeah. before the age of GPS. And thankfully, it was just like a lot of like repeat customers. Yeah, you know? yeah, so, yeah. So you start like learning all the ins and the outs, the shortcuts to all the places, all the Amish roads that you want to stay off of at certain times. Yeah. Yeah, I've been trying to use this time to get to know all of the streets in my area, but using gps you know they've said that you know using gps turns off the part of your brain that retains any of that information so i've been trying oh, to go all right yeah it's totally not true for me oh you don't think so no oh, no because okay. i i feel like i knew erie whenever i was driving uber in erie i feel like i knew the town and like the the roads yeah and exactly where all the potholes were yeah and all, all, all the best like quick routes to everything better than anybody and i'm using gps all the time whenever yeah. i'm driving uber yeah i get it I, I guess i've never been really good at directions i get it all mixed up in my head and i go I, and i try to go like all right if i follow this road where the hell does it end up and i like picture it and then that's not the case at all and so i've been really trying to take you know pay attention and go all right if i want to get to here from my house where would i go i'd go down this street and then turn left here and then and then so, so for some reasons when I go to like when I go to a completed delivery and I'm like all right let me see if I can get back to where I was without the GPS and and that's like the exercise that exercise that I've been doing to try to try to get to know the roads uh, around here pretty easily but still when I want to go somewhere I'll still use GPS like just just to be safe yeah but Larry and Cheryl can I, actually Larry has a GPS he has an navigation yeah. system and he never learned to work it because he says I thought someone was going to show me how to use it honestly I'm surprised it looks like a nice car I don't know what it is but you know that's something the dealers do now like when I got my car the dealer sat in and was like here's how you attach your phone here's how you do bluetooth here's how you you know they showed me all these these things about the car so I'm surprised someone but I could see maybe Larry going like no 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 I'll, I'll you know I just want to leave. I don't want to talk to a salesperson anymore. I just want to leave with the car. But yeah, he got the navigation system because he just wanted all of the features on the car. I just wanted everything. Uh, so they pull over. He sees an old lady walking and he pulls over. But the old lady is no help at all. In fact, she's a hindrance. She won't give Larry back the directions. It's, it's infuriating. But Larry and, and Cheryl, like Larry is keeping his cool. But the lady doesn't feel that way. And so she is sensing hostility from Larry David, rightly so. He She deserves all the hostility, but it still causes her to rip up the directions and continue on her way. Uh, so still lost, Larry Larry calls the actress Baby Jane, which I did not get. I know that's a reference to a movie. I, know, I think there's a movie called Whatever Happened to Baby Jane or something like that. Does that? Yeah, I, I have no idea. All right, I'm going to write I, it down. I, I didn't pick up on it at all. I'm going to write it down. I also recognized this actress, too. At least I think I did. So I'm going to write down Baby Jane and actress for uh, homework next week to figure out what that was. Because it was it was a dig, obviously, but I just don't get it. So now a car is coming down the road, and he stops the car. And I thought this was one of those incredible coincidences. But later, you know, they, they explain it later. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. So it happens to be... 
the driving range guy, the same one with the hat and the string pulled up all the way tight underneath his chin. And Larry (laughs) is, you know, writes off the fact with the ball thing that his back hurt and he couldn't bend down. And he's like, oh, you were hitting him pretty well. He's like, that was a twist. That was a twist, not a bend. Yeah. Twisting is different. Yeah. And so he's go- the this guy is going to Gil's party because he knows Gil from the club as well. So it's at that point that I went, oh, okay, it's not. I'm like, okay, so this guy happens to be driving down the same not you know unnamed <laughs> gravel dirt road at the same time as Larry. But now it, once they reminded me of that that they all go to the same club, then it was okay. So you know, Larry wonders if he can follow the guy, and he's like, oh, you're you're still going to the party? You can bend, you can bend. Okay, he's like, yeah, I can bend. He's like, well, why don't you bend over and kiss my ass, and next time pick up a fucking ball. <laughs> That was such a good outline. Oh, my God. Like, what a fucking roast. Yeah, I know. And then he peels off. Why don't you bend over, kiss my ass, and pick up the fucking golf ball? Yeah, Yeah, he got Larry Larry good. And the way Larry just walks back to the car, too. And not only walks back to the car, Cheryl asks, is everything okay? Like, yeah, 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 everything's... uh, And this is our first... Pretty, pretty good. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. She's like, how'd it go? You went pretty good. Pretty, 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 pretty good. Pretty good. I, <laughs> I had no idea this is this. it was this early in the series that we got the first one of those. <laughs> I, I really thought it was much, much later. Because um, I associated with one specific scene that I'll point out when we get to it in, okay. in a few seasons from now. Um, wow. But yeah, so... It's at that point that, you know, Larry does have a, a, a cell phone. Amazingly <laughs> enough, in the year 2000, they get it in rural outlying Los Angeles County, wherever the hell they are. Gil calls them because they've left like three messages. He's like, it's a party. They're not listening to the phone. But Gil does call them and talks them in. So Cheryl and Larry are walking up to Gil's house and we meet Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. So I guess he became a doctor, left Elaine, <laughs> moved to Los Angeles, <laughs> somehow lost his medical license and started in porn. It's a very eventful life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Larry and Cheryl come into the house, and it's kind of a house rule that they have to take their shoes off, but Larry will not take his shoes off in the house. He says they're clean, and there's only like three cars in the driveway, and they discover that it's not a party. It's a dinner party. Yeah, it's it's totally silent whenever they walk in, but I, I love the line of Gil coming back down, and Larry and Cheryl are still like hesitant about going in, and Gil is like, <laughs> Yeah, w- my wife always likes to call it the house that cum built. I cracked up at that line, too. I laughed so hard at that line. <laughs> Just, but mostly because it was out of nowhere. Yeah, and it was out of Bob Odenkirk, who is <laughs> the best everyman you could ever cast. And because he's an everyman with this weird outlying... Like, uh, he, he can play dirty, but he can also play super clean, yeah. too. And, and it's because, yeah, he, he is super clean and clean cut. And the fact that, like, the house that come built came out of his mouth. Like, no one could <laughs> deliver that in the same way. <laughs> I laughed so hard at that line as well. It seemed, Ted, I wonder, are, we got mail. Was that an improv? I don't know if we'll, uh, if we'll <laughs> find out. But I would imagine it was. <laughs> I would imagine it was just because of the nature of... Of the show. I'm sorry we can't answer it because we were not on the show, but um, <laughs> I would I would love to know. So Melanie, Gil's wife, gets upset that David that not the Davids are an hour late and that Larry is still wearing his shoes. And Gil starts talking about this um what is it? Some sort of cobbler or something that he oh oh a, a chutney? Yeah, a mango chutney or something like that. And he says it does have Tabasco, and he says that Tabasco keeps you hard, but you have to stick it up your ass. 
And he goes on to tell this story of how he found out about that, where he was like in this scene having to have, it was supposed to be a two girl scene, but only one showed up. So he's just doing her for like four hours waiting for this other girl. And to keep him hard, one of the crew guys shoved Tabasco up his ass. And so that's how he found that out. And it is, this is not Cheryl's scene. <laughs> like everyone at the table is cracking up. Like it's a totally appropriate story to tell at a, at a dinner party. But Cheryl is like just stewing in it and she wants to go now. Like Larry is just sort of like, you know, he, he doesn't appreciate, he's not cracking up at the story like everybody else. He's just kind of staring like, why are people talking like this? But Cheryl is like, we're, we're leaving. I, and I, I, I loved Larry saying, you want to stop and pick up some Tabasco? Another hilarious line that I also noted. I was like, that was hilarious. Cheryl's like, really? This is funny to you? They play a couple so well. It's one of the things that started, like they had the chemistry immediately of the, a couple that has been married a very long time. And he, he told the joke and she didn't appreciate it. And outside yeah. is even better. But before we get outside, <laughs> well, uh, I, yeah. Before before we move like scenes in this, I, I want to get your take on this. Have they eaten yet at this dinner party? Because there's people saying, yeah, we're waiting. We're all starving. And then as soon as they get there, they all get up and go to the next room for a smoke. I get the feeling that they... <laughs> They waited for like an hour and then they started eating because when they pick up the chutney bowl, there's it's like half full, you know, so okay. I, have, I have a feeling this was like the end of dinner. They're like, we waited as long as we could, even though they didn't know they were waiting for them. Uh, OK, but yeah. I was wondering, too. Yeah, I, I, I thought that could have been better communicated. But yeah, that they're they're done with dinner now during the dinner, by the way, Gil's trainer asked to look at Larry's watch. It was an anniversary gift from Cheryl. And so he, he still has that out in the living room. The golfing guy, he does have a name. Oh, Brian. Brian drops his lighter, and Larry feigns that his back hurts so he can reach down and pick it up for him. <laughs> uh, and in the meantime, he knocks over a lamp, and Mel explodes over breaking the lamp, and that Larry's wearing his shoes still, and like, that they were late. This lamp, made entirely out of glass, explodes on carpet <laughs> yeah. which i don't think would happen yeah yeah they could have they could have set that better like it it probably would have like broken or, yeah. or cracked or something it's not breaking to that degree on carpet it's shattered yeah it, it is completely shatters. shattered yeah <laughs> like like it was made of safety glass like yeah to uh, the point where she's cleaning it up with a broom <laughs> on carpet yeah smart very smart so they kick out Larry and Cheryl, so they don't even have to excuse themselves now. Um, and Larry wants to pay for the lamp, but it was a rare lamp from Brian's shop. Brian is the <laughs> golf ball guy, remember? Uh, yeah, and he doesn't. I think know this is where we learn one. his name, isn't it? Well, they introduce everybody around the table, so I think oh, they might have said yeah. it then. Okay, yeah, but right. I, this is where I this is where I really clocked it too. Um, because I didn't pay attention. I don't remember the trainer's name. I think his wife's name was Cinnamon, though. Yes. <laughs> I was yes. Like, Wait a minute. <laughs> so that's why I remember that because it's so weird. But my, I think maybe it was like one of Gil's because that's a very porno actress name. So I'm sorry if you're listening and you're not and you're like a CPA and your name is Cinnamon. I I wrote a whole backstory in my head about how Cinnamon was one of Gil's former coworkers. So outside, this is another. I love the way Larry and Cheryl were talking like a real couple. Couple like Larry's like, what's the uh, What's the level of anger that I'm looking at here? And she's like an 8.7. <laughs> and he goes, what can I do? He was like, how, how, what can I do to get you to a 7? Because I think at a 7, we could have a pretty decent ride home. Um, and he was like, and then you can go right back to an 8. Once we get home, you can go right back to an 8. And it like, and Cheryl starts laughing at that. I, I really loved that very real style conversation. But 
Larry notices as he's getting in the car, the trainer still has his watch and he doesn't want to go do a double goodbye. And that was another very Seinfeldian <laughs> turn of phrase as well. I don't want to do the double goodbye. I already did a goodbye. Now I got to do the double goodbye. And uh, they didn't milk it as much as Seinfeld might have, but Larry doesn't want to do the double goodbye. And I thought that was a great, you know, societal thing to point out. I hate when, you know, you have to go back in and go, oh, we already got this great closure. I had one more thing I got to do, and now I'm leaving again. Okay, goodbye. But he gets his watch back and directions home. And then I thought this was this was great. He when he's putting his shoes back on, he accidentally knocks on the door. And so Gil's like, oh, "You need?" He's like, "No, sorry, it was it was an accident. Oh, I thought you knocked again." <laughs> so he had to do the triple goodbye. So in the car, Larry can't decide. He's supposed to turn at the barn, and he can't decide if he saw a barn or not. And Cheryl is just sitting in the passenger seat, fuming uh, as she's done a lot this episode. But yeah, he's like, was that a barn or was that a stable? He was like, do, far- do all farms have barns? I thought they had stables. And he just kind of- He kinda... said, like, th- th- there was cows. I don't think cows live in a barn. <laughs> cows definitely live in a barn. Yeah, cows right? live yeah, in a barn. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So over at Jeff's, Larry shows up. It must be Sunday. Larry shows up to pick up the uh, porn collection. And he has Jeff's security code, which is 9988. But he also wrote in a way where upside down, it could look like 8866. But he does the right code and he picks up, he's picking up all the porn magazines and tapes. I noticed one, Becca Lord's World Tour. One I saw, I think was called Dirty Dating and it had a subtitle that I couldn't read underneath. One just said TLC, which I, and I couldn't see what Uh. that stood for. But then there's also Motel Dick starring, (laughs) starring Gil Bang. Jesus Christ. (laughs) And Larry, great names on yeah. both fronts. Yeah, I Jesus, know, I know. And Motel Dick Motel starring Dick. Gil Bang. And Larry has to watch it immediately, <laughs> right then. And we get nudity in Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I didn't remember, but it's a, it's they they do as well as they can, you know, without making it actual, you know, X rated or NC seventeen rated, whatever existed at this time, you know, by by showing a porn without actually showing a porn. It's very soft core, let's say. It's very yeah, HBO. You, 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 yeah. s- you see breasts. You're you're not gonna see. Yes. You're, 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 they're not gonna show penetration. Full penetration. Yeah. And while Larry is relaxing on Jeff and Susie's bed watching this, Jeff's parents walk in, and <laughs> that's when frolic starts up, and that's the like, end of the episode. I, I think. I think everyone watching this knew what was going to happen, <laughs> knew how the scene was going to end, but it, it, it still made it funny. Yeah, yeah. And here's, like, I know, again, without this, we don't have a joke, but if you see someone's car in a driveway, announce yourself <laughs> when you come in. Hello? How about that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, so I think that was a major, you know, etiquette misstep on Jeff's parents' well, part. Who do you think was there first, Larry or Jeff's parents? It looks like they're walking in with suitcases. Yeah. So I think Larry was there first. Okay. Okay. You know, and and if he wasn't, I think they would have heard somebody coming in the door too. You know, I think there yeah, there would have been true. contact made before the before the tape made contact with the VCR. True. Also, yeah, if Larry wasn't there first, uh, the alarm probably wouldn't have been set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't make any beeping though, so I didn't I didn't like that. That's that's one thing that might lead you to think that the parents were there first, oh, yeah. like because it doesn't go. It doesn't like normally when you open a door and there's an alarm system, it'll go beep. I, beep. I thought it'll it give did. you a little I thought warning. it made oh, okay. us like a a little sound. It wasn't like a continuous beep. Yeah. Or like a beep 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 yeah, beep right. beep beep. Yeah, maybe it did. Maybe I just missed it. And, but I didn't even. It didn't even make a sound when he pushed the buttons that I heard. So, but maybe it did. But yeah, Larry is. Uh, and, and 
he just plays it like he doesn't jump up and try to turn it off right away. He's like, right, I know that guy. <laughs> this is a friend of mine. I was just at a dinner party or something like that that he says, because uh, what's the point? It's you know, and also it's like it's messed up, but he's also not fourteen. You know, yeah. It's like he's a grown man watching pornography in his friend's bedroom. <laughs> That's not all totally normal, but it's also legal. It's completely legal. <laughs> uh, so that is that's the that's the end of the episode. All right, what do we got for homework this week? Uh, I just wrote down why did Larry call that old lady Baby Jane, and who was the actress? Because I, I definitely recognized her. Okay, uh, what do it. you like? What do you like for cover art? Good question. Uh, I mean, it'd be funny to get a shot of of Bob Odenkirk. Doesn't he have like a title card underneath him that says Gil Bang or something like that on, yeah. when it's on the TV, or maybe even just the cover of the of the DVD? I don't know, or the VHS. She's. Uh, See, I don't I'd, know lo- I'd love to. I'd love to get a shot if I can of Gil on the TV with over the shoulder of Larry yeah. watching him. <laughs> yeah, because he's like splayed out on the bed. He's like, yeah, really? he's like <laughs> leaning back. He's like, he's like laying on like one elbow. Yeah, you know, he's 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 relaxing. He's like, yeah. I'm gonna be here for a bit. I'm gonna watch Gil do his thing. That would be a funny shot too. Yeah. All right, so let's see what we can do about this week's description. Okay. So we had Larry sets off a bizarre chain of events parenthetical, as he always does, <laughs> in which he is forced to attend a party at the home of a porno businessman. See, I would say former porn star. I think that's all yeah. I would say. Porno businessman is very clunky. Yeah, because w- from the from the description that you read last week, I was like, oh, he must be a producer. He's going to be like a big gross producer. Like, no, it's... Yeah. Yeah. That's what that's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. Watching, uh, I don't know if you guys watched Pam and Tommy at all. No, haven't uh, yet. But I... But I was thinking like someone like uh, Nick Offerman's character. Okay, I've seen it. Yeah. businessman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. So that's the only change I would make. What do you think? Uh, I would. I like that. Also, get rid of as he always does. Yeah, yeah. What that's are we true. doing here? We don't need that. <laughs> yeah, it's only the third episode. First of all, so I guess it, <laughs> I guess it's yeah, true. <laughs> but like I said last week, it might be true. But we could have just caught Larry. On two bad instances. Exactly. It's been two episodes. Yeah. How do we know what Larry always does? We don't, and we don't need it. So, yeah. <laughs> so, what is it now? With What do we have now? Larry sets off a bizarre chain of events in which he is forced to attend a party at the home of a former porn star. Great. I like it. Yes. <laughs> it's because much better. Here's the way the book says it. And the book is like, this is a synopsis, not necessarily a teasy kind of thing like we try to do. But Larry mm-hmm. snubs a guy at his golf club because he doesn't like his bolo string cowboy hat. And then later calls back the wrong friend by mistake and gets roped into an invitation to a party at a former porn actor's house. Jeff has to have bypass surgery and asks Larry to go collect his porn just in case. Larry and Cheryl get lost on the way to the party, a small intimate affair, where Larry breaks a lamp. <laughs> And gets kicked out for refusing to take off his shoes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <Yeah. laughs> but not to that is, jump. That is an essay. Yeah. Not to jump too far ahead into the book, but the adult film stars in the show within a show, in the porno within the show, are credited as herself and herself. Bianca and Castle are the names of the women in huh, the okay. in Motel Dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get to next week, let's open up Newman's mail sack. Zip. Okay, speaking of things that have been going on for the last four <laughs> years, Tim, this name might ring a couple oh, of bells no. for you. We got an email from David Pootsier. Oh, no. <laughs> and David Pootsier is still listening to this. Why? He's still listening to the show. Well, no, no. Here's here's the okay. thing. David Pootsier, over time, has become a fan of us. Oh, my gosh. 
What a character. <laughs> what an arc. What a character arc, right? <laughs> David writes in, subject, my enthusiasm has been my enthusiasm has been curbed. Oh, well, that's not good. And he writes, my bet was that you would be doing Curb next. I have a feeling that you will not like it nearly as much as Seinfeld. I tried to get into it years ago, but I found myself just feeling uncomfortable during almost every episode. Almost every wacky, problematic situation is so easily avoided, but just isn't. I also found things very predictable. For example, in episode one, I could tell just what was going to happen with the three main plot points right away. I don't recall laughing out loud even once during any episode. Something that happened all the time with Seinfeld. I found I found none of the characters endearing or captivating in Curb like in Seinfeld. Anyway, good luck making it all the way through the episodes. I will try to go along with you on the ride. I fear NHNL will drop from my top fave podcast. I'm assuming the name remains. Sincerely, David in Springfield, Oregon. David, thank you for being on this ride with us. I, I already replied to him uh, privately, but uh, seriously, what a character arc for, yeah. for David Poots here. I'm like, is this even uh, the same guy? Yeah, yeah, no, David, uh, we, we appreciate you listening to us. Uh, hopefully you do still continue to listen. Uh, honestly, I feel like this episode was, I mean, it's its hard to really give it any superlatives, but the best episode of Curb so far. Oh, I started. I don't know if that's still going to be a thing, but I was like, I have to start this episode because I was cracking up right away at everything. It had so many great lines that, you know, we that we pointed out, the house that come built, the one, you know, oh, you want to stop and get some Tabasco, like... Just so many laugh out loud lines. I'm like, this is the first great episode of Curb. I, I feel like we, I feel like we need to do just a hard top three. Yeah, each yeah. Season. Since, since there's only gonna be <laughs> ten dead. episodes, because if we, even if we do a top five, that's half. Like, oh, half the season. Yeah, we can. We should only do three. That way, it it gives us a little more incentive to make some cuts. I think you're right. I'm glad we settled that. You know, before we got too far into the episode, I'm like, all right, Ted, I got my top seven episodes. <laughs> So what three did <laughs> three you did, like? Yeah. Damn. Three did not. They were not funny enough. Three didn't make the cut. <laughs> but uh, anyway, David, thank you so much for writing in. If you want to uh, send us something for Newman's Mail Sack, again, no hugging, no learning show at gmail.com. Link is down in the description and uh, we'll give you a shout out on the show as well. Feel free to talk as much shit about me as you want because I Ted won't <laughs> tell me and I can't read it. So. <laughs> You can just annihilate Tim in Ted the email. Ted will protect my feelings. <laughs> I... <laughs> anyway, see, next week, we've got season one, episode four, The Bracelet. Original air date, November 5th, 2000. And if you're looking in TV Guide that night, you are going to see Larry is continually thwarted in his effort to buy a bracelet as a peacemaking gift for Cheryl. Okay, so the episodes are going to connect a little bit, it seems like, per- perhaps, unless she's mad Maybe. about something else, which is possible. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very possible. Entirely possible. I, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, interesting. I don't uh, remember much about this episode, but I, I, I want to also point out that I took two pages of notes for Porno Gill, and that's it. Wow. Like, I, yeah. I did I did three, but, you know, mine are a little more spaced out. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's amazing just how little information we need to write down and still have pretty good conversation about it. Yeah, still have the ability to just kind of, like, recall everything of note yeah. that happened in the episode. Yeah, yeah, and all the funny lines and everything. So, um, all right, is that it? I, yeah, I think that's it. All right, for No Hugging, No Learning, I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hallwell. Be good. Be good.